Friday night, we opened this space and the lobby out there for what we called sacred space um, for two hours. And uh, you'll see the stations that are still up. We had scriptures with them so that you could walk through the life of Jesus through visual art. And music was playing in here. And then out in the back lobby, we had um, the story read over and over again, but not the same story. Each gospel's full account of the last week of Jesus' life, starting with Matthew and then Mark and then Luke, and then John. And, um, and when you hear the story read aloud, specifically each gospel, um, it's interesting what happens, at least for someone like me when I hear the story read. You get lost in it, and you find yourself imagining and pondering things that, that kind of don't even happen during study, at least for me. Sometimes hearing it changes things. And I was caught by the, the presence of Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea is this guy who the scripture says was looking for the kingdom of God, okay? And so his heart was set on God's kingdom. He had, been, he had been keeping tabs on Jesus following him. And after Jesus died, he went to the authorities and he said, can I, can I place him in a tomb that I have? Can I bury him? Can I be the one to take him down? And they give him permission. And, and so he, he gets permission to take the body of Jesus and... I could not stop thinking about the weight of a dead Jesus in your arms. The, this was a man who had cured leprosy in front of others, a man who had healed thousands by this point, a man who spoke like no man had spoken, and, and he died, and with it the hope of so many things. See, over the past few weeks at LifePath, what we've done is we've asked the question, what does it mean to be a cross-shaped people? Jesus' actions on the cross, they break down barriers of violence, shame, sin, condemnation, selfishness, and injustice all together. Jesus on the cross in himself puts to death all that is wrong in us and in our world in a mystical way. But after the cross, despite its goodness, we're still left with the weight of a dead Jesus. A lamb sacrificed. And even with all the good, even with all the laying down of one's life, the end is still death. It's hard to have hope at a moment like that until today, because it's Sunday morning. In the book of Luke, chapter 24, we read this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women who had been faithful during this entire time, I just added that, um, the women took, because sometimes, I'm sorry, sometimes we say the disciples abandoned Jesus, but we need to be really clear, not all of them did. There was sorrow, but there was presence. The women are an example for us in, in this case in a beautiful way. So they, they took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away. They didn't know, by the way, that, that the guards had asked it to be sealed. So they would not have been shocked that the, that the stone was rolled away yet. It may not have been closed fully at that point in their minds, right? But they saw that it was rolled away because they came with spices, so they were intending to see the body of Jesus. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? 
He is not here. He has risen. Right there, the essence of the beauty of the story today. He has risen is the story and the words that have been proclaimed for so many years. The cross reveals what kind of a God it is that we serve. But so does the resurrection, and in a new way. Not just a God that lays down his life, but one who raises it up new. Today is not any longer what has been killed and laid to rest. Today is about what has been raised up and brought to life and who does the raising. That was incredibly central to the early church. You see, over and over again through the scriptures, specifically in the first generation of the church, in the book of Acts, which you'll hear from shortly, the disciples said that Jesus was killed in their proclamation, but God raised him. Eighteen times in the New Testament that phrase is used, but God raised him. Ten times in Acts, and then sprinkled throughout all of the rest of the letters. But God raised him. It is crystal clear that to the early apostles, if they were to characterize the nature of God, here's what they would have said. God is one who raises to life. That is a core character of who God is. Jesus, without any question, is God raised in the scriptures. So what we want to do is we want to celebrate that Jesus was God raised and that somehow, mysteriously through him, so are we. And this is where Christians start to sound real foolish, right? This is where we get the goofy reputation because we're believing in something that's really sometimes a little hard to grasp. But there's such beauty in it. There's such truth and goodness in it if we embrace it. So we're going to celebrate that God, that Jesus is God raised and that somehow mysteriously through him, so are we. All right? So we want to celebrate what does it mean to be a God, to follow a God raised Savior and to be a God raised people. It has really big implications for our lives. <laughs> To believe both of these things. So, Sabrina and Dwayne are going to proclaim to us how being God-raised impacts our now and impacts our future and why both are such incredibly good news. And then I will bring it together at the end. So, Sabrina, tell us how being God-raised is good news for right now. Okay. And I should have helped you with the mic stand. Here, I'll clear this one for you. Thank you. Let's start with Peter's words on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, 22 through 24 says, People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man publicly endorsed to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. We probably aren't as blown away by the scene as we should be. If you've been around the church long enough, the story might seem flat from too many routine readings. Day of Pentecost, blah, blah, blah. Flames appeared above their heads, blah, 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 speak, blah, blah, blah. Guys, this is huge. These followers of Jesus are engaging in public speaking using languages they don't know so that everyone in town can understand in their first language with no confusion that Jesus is Lord. This is a stunning moment for everyone present. 
I mean, right here at Aspira, this is Easter Sunday. It's a gathering. It's not like a random, crowded public place like the mall. But even so, it would be pretty astounding if fire appeared over my head and I began preaching in Spanish, which, by the way, I do not know. No sería asombroso si de repente cambiaría a español por el resto de mi mensaje esta mañana? No sería asombroso? Wouldn't that be amazing? I hope that was something close to what it was supposed to be. (laughs) So, in this moment of jaw-dropping mystery, this moment of opportunity, Peter has three things that absolutely have to be said. Number one, Jesus was here because of God's plan, and we could tell that because of the miracles, signs, and wonders that characterized those three and a half years of his ministry. Number two, the people that Jesus came to, that would be everyone listening, by the way, with the help of wicked people, executed him. Three, but God raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep him in its grip. These three things are the core of what it means to identify as a Christian, a, a little Christ, a person who proclaims that Jesus is Lord in word and in action. These three things characterize what it means to no longer be a religious person who follows a set of rules required for right living, but to instead be in relationship with God, belonging to him, filled with his righteousness, raised by God in Jesus from death to life. Our whole relationship with God is defined in Jesus. Jesus in flesh, the teacher, the healer, the miracle worker, the friend of the poor and the marginalized. In Jesus, unjustly sentenced to die, innocent of all wrong and yet nailed to a cross and killed, bearing the weight of all the rotten things we have ever done or ever will do, all that we are ashamed of in our imperfect humanness. And in Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, because it was impossible for death to keep its grip on him. We're typically drawn to one characteristic of Jesus more than another. Some of us primarily find our relationship with God in Jesus as teacher, healer, caregiver, and servant. We're eager to live our lives working for justice, compassion, and peace. We're transformed by the wisdom of the upside-down kingdom that Jesus established. The Beatitudes shape our life goals. This is such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing, in fact, that it's why our vision team is encouraging every one of our stakeholders to accept a $100 sending grant from LifePath sometime in the next few weeks to think of a way to show and share the love of Jesus and to allow us to help fund that endeavor. We're not kidding when we say that living lives shaped by the kingdom of God as established by Jesus is what we want for every person who follows Jesus. We're putting our money where our mouths are. We're partnering with the ideas that God gives you to reach out in his name. Anchoring our relationship in Jesus' way of doing things is such a beautiful thing. But some of us primarily find our relationship with God in Jesus as crucified, as Savior, as the one who cried out, it is finished. We live our days profoundly and prayerfully grateful, humbly aware of our own imperfection, relying on grace as we see our shortcomings 
time and time again. And that is such a powerful thing. But do we also find our relationship with God in Jesus as God raised? Victorious over death? What does that even mean? I mean, that we will eventually enjoy eternal life rather than just be done with life when we breathe our last? Or is it, is it something more? Is it something now? Friends, we are a God-raised people in Christ. And it means so much more than simply that we will be raised to life eternal after we've breathed our last. It means resurrection when we experience a thousand tiny deaths daily. Disappointment. Fear. Exhaustion. Addiction. Shame. Rage. Broken relationships. The end of a dream. It means that God has declared that it is impossible for these things to keep us in their grip. Listen, friends, because one of you needs to hear this. The disappointment that you feel as you fall asleep every night does not write the rest of your story. The fear that tightens your chest and makes your heart race does not decide what you can and cannot do. The exhaustion that makes you unwilling to get out of bed in the morning and face another day can be filled with a strength that does not depend on you or caffeine. The addiction that calls the shots in your day, it is not the final voice of authority in your life. The shame that keeps you hiding from others is not who you actually are. The rage that hurts the people around you or destroys your health while you stuff it down simply must surrender to peace. The people who have said that you are dead to them are mistaken because love wins. The dream that lies in smoking ruin can be reborn from the ashes like a mythical phoenix rising. You are a God-raised person. It is fundamental to your relationship with God in Jesus. So follow his example, give thanks for his salvation, and be raised to life with him in the tiny deaths of every day. Dwayne. So if that's how God raised Jesus affects our now, Dwayne proclaimed to us how Jesus being God raised affects our future. A few weeks ago, Keith asked, if you knew you had one day to live, what would you do? Today we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, so I want to ask a slightly different question. If you knew you were going to live forever, what would you do? How would you live how would your priorities change? Would you spend your time in different ways? If you're like me, you might. If I knew I was going to live forever, I would probably shift my priorities a little. I might spend a little more time investing in relationships. I might be a little less worried about the future and more aware of the present moment. Almost paradoxically, the promise of living forever frees me from the pressure to get things done and allows me to think about living in fullness right now. But this isn't simply a hypothetical exercise. 
the audacious foolishness of faith in Jesus is this central belief that not only did God raise Jesus from the dead, but that someday we too will be raised from the dead. Physically, bodily raised. Raised to walk around this earth again. In the earliest evangelical sermons we have on record in the book of Acts, the central message of both Peter and Paul was that God raised Jesus from the dead. They didn't begin with the message that Jesus has brought forgiveness of sins, which he did. And they didn't begin by saying that Jesus teaches us how to live a full and abundant life, which he does. They chose to ground their message of good news on the unbelievable fact that Jesus died and God raised him from the dead. Paul elaborates on the ramifications of this resurrection for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So, the question is not hypothetical. Assuming Jesus doesn't return before my body dies, I will someday be raised from the dead and given a new body, an eternal body that will last forever. And so will you. Somewhere in Christian history, the ideas of Gnosticism crept into our theology. So we tend to talk a little bit more about our disembodied souls than our resurrected physical bodies. But it seems clear to me that the Bible teaches us that we will be raised from the dead and given new bodies. Why does this matter to me? It matters because I can't wrap my brain around what it would be like to be a disembodied soul in a place called heaven that I've never seen. But if you tell me I'll be given a permanent physical body that looks like this one, but hopefully not exactly like this one, <laughs> I'll be able to walk around on a perfected earth and you'll be with me and we'll be around forever. I can imagine that. I can dream about that. That kind of possible future shapes my behavior right now. We sometimes talk about the two sides of eternal life, the now and the not yet. Sabrina just spoke a little bit about the now. And I'm talking about the not yet. But they are inextricably linked. What I believe about the not yet shapes how I live in the now. And how I live in the now has lasting eternal impact on the not yet. Paul points this out later in chapter 15 when he says, If the dead are not raised... Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. The truth of the resurrection, meaning the promise that we all will be someday raised as Jesus was, shapes how we live right now. If there's no hope of resurrection for us, Paul says that much of what we've committed our lives to is meaningless. But the hope of resurrection changes our focus. At least it changes mine. Because I believe I'm going to live forever, 
I think the best way to spend my time is by loving others. If I build immense wealth or make it to the top of my career or get famous on TikTok and have millions of followers, what will happen to all of that when I'm resurrected to live in God's new reality? It will mean nothing. But if I spend my energy being a peacemaker, working for shalom, that will last forever. If I devote my time to the work of justice for the oppressed, that will last forever. If I build the faith of the people I know, that will last forever. How do I know these things will last forever? Because they are the things of God's kingdom. Peace, love, justice, mercy, faith. And just as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, I want my life's work to bring God's kingdom into existence right now. Because someday, everything else will pass away. So I'll ask you again. What would you do if you knew you would live forever? How would you live right now if you knew beyond a doubt that someday you would be raised to live forever? That is the life-changing reality of Easter. Dwayne, I actually think you and, and Jack could work something out to go pretty big on TikTok. <laughs> but talk about the long-term kingdom value of that later. <laughs> Doesn't this stuff, as wild and mysterious, and we can't figure it all out, the, the imagery within the scriptures are so broad and big, but they give us enough to hold on to. But doesn't this fill us with hope if we learn to embrace it from every single angle? We are a people that need hope so badly, friends. We need hope so badly. Uh, two years ago, on this day, we celebrated uh, in our homes on screens as a church. Uh, last year, we hadn't seen each other for months, and this is our first time back together. Everyone was required to wear masks, and it was, uh, there was fear and anxiety that was a part of a lot of, uh, of the journey of people's lives at that point. Um, today, you know, we're still walking through hard, excruciating years that for so many reasons have highlighted our pain and the world's pain and the hatred and the injustice and the unhealth and the hopelessness that continues to darken the skies. So much has been lost. But the story today starts with the first day of a new week. The first day as sun rises on a new beginning. We need today... <laughs> We need God to come back to life. We need to come back to life to be raised by God. This is more than just a nice day to celebrate, friends. This is a truth that can change the world. To celebrate that life actually wins over death and good wins over evil and God wins over all. That's what remembering should be about. That's why we remember today. That's even what the faithful women did in our story in Luke 24. It goes on when they hear this guy, these two guys telling them 
um, what's up, these angelic beings. Why do you look for the living among the dead in verse 5 of chapter 24 of Luke? Um, He's not here, he is risen. And then they say this, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they, what? Remembered his words. Pause there for a moment. Remembering is central to what happens in this story. But the the cool thing about the word remember in the original language is that it's not just about calling something to mind. It's not just about being like, ah, I remember that last week. That was, you know, I had Cheerios for breakfast, you know, and then I spilled them all over myself and I had to put on new pants for the rest of the day. You know, whatever the case might be, those are nice memories. I remember meeting him at one point. Whatever the case might be, but memories like this, to remember, is a complex word, and what it means is to bring the past to bear on the present with renewed power, with renewed power and insight. So, so think about the thief on the cross, the, the rebel on the cross, who says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What was he going after there? For Jesus to come to, to sit at the right hand of God, as the scripture says, and be like, Hi, I remember that guy. He's having a hard day. No, that is not what remembering, that's not what he was calling Jesus to do. He was saying, come, when, when I come to bear in your mind, do something. Remember me means to call to mind and then act. And Jesus promises that, yes, I will remember you. And by remembering, he says, I will act on your behalf. And I will bring you into this kingdom. Okay, so that's the core understanding of to remember He's, it's a promise from Jesus that he would redeem this man and give him hope. So, so to remember is to change our actions because of what's brought to mind. For the women here, remembering the past, remembering, it's okay, you don't have to put it back up, Adam. Remembering what Jesus had said gave them fresh faith and hope for right now to go out. I remember that Jesus said that. It changes how I view the moment. Remembering a past moment changes what the present moment looks like. Okay? So so remembering Easter leads us to renewed action as well. We are given fresh faith and hope to walk towards God's redemption and to work toward God's redemption in every single way. And and that's the, the second part of remembering that's worth noting. And I was supposed to bring my whiteboard up, but I forgot. But you can just imagine it. So, the, and this was brought up in our pastoral meeting. Uh, Dwayne mentioned this, and I, I just thought it was really, really um, beautiful. But the opposite of remember isn't to forget um, linguistically. The opposite of remember is, is dismember. And to dismember, as you probably know, is to pull apart and separate. So by remembering Easter, by remembering Easter, we're bringing it all together. We're bringing together God's hope of the future of being God-raised, and God's hope of the present, of living as God-raised. We're bringing what, what happened to Jesus together with what, what is happening within us in our own spirits. We're bringing the past story together with the present, and we're looking at how God redeemed people, and God started something that we get to participate as we do things like forgive our enemies, encourage people to re- experience the grace of God, work against racism, all of it. We bring it together. The resurrection is about newness in God's world in every single way. So to remember Easter means to be different. Got it? Does that make sense? To bring it all together and walk away new. So beautiful. Oh my goodness. All right. I'm supposed to stick to my script, right? Because of time. 
they did, you guys did so good with that. Um, so remembering is no doubt what leads the women at the tomb then to new action. Because the last verse of this part of the story, after they remembered his words, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and all the others. They remembered what he said. It gave them fresh faith and hope and renewed them to go and proclaim what happened. So proclamation comes next. So these women, they announce the good news that hope is alive. They announce that a new future has been unlocked right now. And so for us as, as God-raised people, we practice this hope. We remember by both receiving it personally, personally and being witnesses out there that God raised Jesus to initiate his kingdom. And so we carry that message even when we can't see or live its fullness. Uh, you know what the most beautiful image for me of, of this this year was? So my wife and I have um, tickets to see the, the Broadway series in, at the Kimmel Center in Philadelphia. And uh, the show that we saw two months ago was called Hadestown. And I, for those of you who maybe are interested in theater, it is a profoundly incredible. I could talk with you about it for far too long, so I'm going to stick to my notes now. Um, but in Hadestown, the story tells, it tells the story of Orpheus. It's, it tells the story of the, of the, the Greek um, tragedy of the, of the gods between Orpheus and um, um, Eurydice. It also tells the story of Hades and Persephone. But anyways, look it up later. But the whole point is that Orpheus is the, the, the son of a muse. And he's kind of been touched by the gods. And he has this, this insight. But Persephone, who brings spring, has married Hades. And he is pulling her down. He wants her with, her with him more and more and more. So he's pulling her down into the underworld. And there is less springtime, less sun. The world is getting darker and colder and more wicked because there's no life. Because Persephone brings the life and she's not available and around. But he's been touched and inspired by the gods in such a way that he senses a song growing in him. And he, because he is so unique, he has the power to sing something, to sing life into being. And so, so when we meet him... He begins working on this, this, this peace in the midst of a world that is becoming more and more uh, lifeless in every way, okay? And, and so he's telling Eurydice who he has fallen in love with upon just meeting her, and she is lost, and she is suffering, and she is hungry, and she represents a world that just feels dead, all right? And he's telling her that there's hope. Go ahead and throw the slide up here. Okay. And then I just want you to hear the 30 seconds when he explains what's been going on in his mind. Go ahead. He's not like any man you met. Tell her what you're working on. I'm working on a song. It isn't finished yet. But when it's done and when I sing it, spring will come again. Come again? Spring will come. When? I haven't seen a spring or fall since I can't recall. That's what I'm working on. A song to fix what's wrong, take what's broken, make it whole. A song so beautiful, it brings the world back into tune, back into time, and all the flowers will bloom. And as he's singing the song, a flower appears in his hand, and it's the first time any color has entered the world in so long, and he didn't even know that he could do it. Because the song's not finished, but it's begun. 
he, he sings life into death. <laughs> and Jesus, Jesus brings the life. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the song. And Jesus is the lead singer. And we also sing it bit by bit, even though it's not finished. It still has power. We sing with our lives a song that fixes what's wrong in light of the resurrection to take what's broken and move toward wholeness to help people see what the world ought to be about because it's what God's vision was always for it. That's what we get to be a part of and that's why the resurrection affects us so much. So the resurrection is power to live differently, to hope when there isn't any, to live a song so beautiful that it helps put things right and bring the world back into tune. So we got to sing it, friends. Um, We can't do anything else. We sing it in our spirits, and we sing it in our words, and we sing it in our actions. That's what the women did. They told their story. Eventually, the 11 accepted it enough to be curious themselves. They discovered that it was true. They saw the resurrected Jesus, and their lives changed forever. It's so beautiful, and then generation after generation after generation has continued to proclaim it. In little ways and big ways.